two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4Patriots.com tutor to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4Patriots.com tutor. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter and the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, this is Buck Sexton, and you're listening to the Tudor Dixon Podcast, part of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Podcast Network. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. I'm Tudor Dixon, and I'm so glad you're here with me today because today we're learning. So a lot of times we talk about different subjects, but to me, this one is really important. I saw an article in Michigan a few weeks ago about bees and how important bees are. And to me, I think this is something that I, I know very little about that is a very important part of my life. And so I wanted to bring on the assistant professor who was quoted in the article. Her name is Megan Milbrath. She works at Michigan State's entomology department and is the coordinator for the Michigan Pollinator Initiative. Megan, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about this, because like I said, I, I'm afraid of bees, but I think they're very important, and I want you to help me understand why I shouldn't be afraid of them and what we need to do to keep them safe. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to talk about bees. Absolutely. I'm excited that you are here. So in your article, you had some really interesting points, and one of them sort of freaked me out, to be honest, because it said you have to be really careful about what kind of pesticides that you're using, even in your yard. And I think that probably naively, I've felt like, well, if I'm using something in my yard, it's not affecting these bee colonies, but they're coming into my yard. You went on to say, I mean, even weed killers. So so my first question for you is, quite honestly, I hate mosquitoes. And there's in the, in the grocery store, there's always this advertisement for one of those products that you use. It's like the backyard mosquito killer. Is Am I killing bees when I use that? Oh, I, I like how we're starting with the really depressing stuff first. Um, so it, it really does, <laughs> it, it does depend. So, um, you know, mosquitoes are insects and bees are insects. And so there are quite a few things that will affect both, especially if you're doing things that target adults. Um, there are some things like the dunks or the, the ones that you put in the water that will be larval specific, that will be specific for bees. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, a lot of the things that you can purchase um, directly from 
any hardware store or garden supply store can really negatively affect bees. And it may not be clearly labeled on there that it will have an effect on. Mm, interesting. And then when we talk about having an effect on them, they they are obviously very important. And we are, I mean, I have four daughters, so every time we're in the backyard and a bee comes by, we freak out and we scream and we are afraid and we're swatting at the bee. But in your article, you said that's not, we don't necessarily have to be afraid. So explain to me why we don't necessarily have to be afraid. Yes. Well, first off, bees take the brunt of a lot of bad press from wasps and yellow jackets and hornets. So those aren't technically bees, and they don't really have a major role in pollination. Um, so there's something completely different. So those are, you know, a little more on the territorial side, or I don't like to say aggressive, I like to say assertive, because it's their house too. Um, so the, the ones that are a little more territorial or that tend to sting are usually wasps and yellow jackets. Bees, on the other hand, really have no interest in stinging. And in the case of honeybees, you know, they will die if they sting you. So for them, it's really not worth it for them to sting you unless they or their hive is actually endangered. So when a bee is out foraging, you know, when it's away from the nest, it is only interested in finding food and it really wouldn't be motivated to sting you at all. Like you could still get some if you on it, but in that case, you know, it's probably kind of deserved if they're going to die from getting stepped on. So how much do we truly rely on bees? Because I think we think that there are different ways to pollinate, but really our fruits and vegetables, it's mostly bees, right? Correct. And it's mostly honeybees. So in Michigan, we have 465-ish species of native bees, and most of them are solitary bees, and they're beautiful and diverse. Um, but a few things about them is, you know, they're solitary, so they don't build up in huge numbers. And most of them are smaller and they don't fly that far. So for them to be useful for pollination, they really have to be right on site. And a lot of the places where we grow food are not necessarily great for pollinator habitat because we do use pesticides when we produce foods. And also we, you know, change the landscape and we have a lot of monoculture. So in most places where we're growing fruits and vegetables, we are dependent on bringing in European or Western honeybees. So we have one species of honeybee that we use in North America. Um, and that bee is responsible for almost all of the pollination that happens for all of our um, specialty crops. So all the fruits and vegetables are going to be pollinated by honeybees where beekeepers are bringing them onto site because we can't get meter pollination needs by the native bees that could be in the Okay, beekeeping. I met a lot of people when I was campaigning across the state that are beekeepers, but I didn't see any. These were people that owned other businesses and then they were beekeepers on the side. It seems like it's more of a side gig. You don't have a huge operation of beekeeping, but I'm not sure. Am I wrong about that? Is this something that people are doing as kind of a, a hobby, but they're helping the environment? There's a couple points there. So in Michigan, we classify beekeepers into three groups. So we do have a large number of hobby beekeepers. And the reason you probably met them is because, you know, there's a lot of people who just want to do it as, you know, backyard beekeepers. Then we have a second group, which um, would be people with like 50 to 500 hives. And those we classify as sideliners. 
And so that's where I would fall into where I run a beekeeping business, but I also have a full-time job. So it's my side business. And then in Michigan, we have a group of commercial beekeepers where, um, and it's unfortunate that you didn't meet them because they're essentially are the backbone of Michigan agriculture. So we don't have, you know, all of the things that we're known for of blueberry and apples and cherry production. Those are all supported by a group of commercial beekeepers who provide colonies for pollination services. So they will be having 500 to our largest one has, um, we have a couple above 10,000 colonies and they move them around the state and indeed around the country to provide pollination services. Really? Obviously the, the hobby folks, they keep them on site, but the commercial, they move them around and they'll even leave the state. Are they then are they going to different states that are having, that are pollinating at different times of the year? Yep, exactly. So in the United States, we have about 2.6 million honeybee colonies and about 2 million of those 2.6. So most of the bees in the country are out in California in February for almond pollination. And then a typical route for a beekeeper that's in Michigan is, and that's in February, February to March, and then um, it's too cold to come back to Michigan at that point. So they'll go down south, um, perhaps Florida or Georgia or Texas, and then they'll build up their colonies again after almond pollination to get ready for Michigan pollination, like blueberries, apples, cherries, which is basically starting right now in May. And then after that, they'll they'll have to move out of those areas because the sprays will start and the food will be gone because bloom will be over. And then they'll go either to vine crop pollination because um, that's also really big in Michigan or they'll go out to a place where they can do honey production. And then they'll be out there till the fall and then either go back down south or there's um, a lot of people are overwintering indoors in sheds now as well. So it is very, you know, it's, it's one of the last migratory livestock that we maintain in the United States. And it sounds like there's a lot of science behind it. So you really have to know what you're doing. I mean, I hear a lot of people say they want to get into it because we keep hearing that we're losing bees. Was there a point when we had three million colonies and we're losing or is that a fallacy that we're just all afraid of? No, it's absolutely true. And there's two things. So we used to have over five million colonies at the end of World War II, and it has dropped down to the 2.6 million colonies that's that's maintained over the last 10 years but what's behind that is we have really high rates of death so um you know normally beekeepers would lose you know 10 15 percent of their animals just like all livestock things happen the last few years we've been losing 30 to 50 percent every year and why so there's a combination of things. So part of it, um, we talk about the big P's, so pesticides, pathogens, parasites, and poor nutrition, and they all kind of work together. So, you know, we mentioned a little the pesticide stress that affects them, and that is significant. Um, for honeybees in particular, we also have a parasite that's got about a 96% death rate, and we don't have great treatments for it, and it's called the varroa mite. And that's incredibly deadly um, and we just don't have good tools and then we have poor nutrition so honeybees eat flowers and so their entire diet comes from flowers so the pollen is their protein and fats and the nectar is their carbohydrates and we just 
keep removing more flowers from the landscape. And then um, there's some other pathogens as well, so different diseases. And that's for the honeybees. The native bees are susceptible to a lot of the same things and sometimes are faring even worse because, you know, in the case of poor nutrition, they don't have a beekeeper that will come in and feed them. And so the native bees, you know, we, we have a lot of data on what's happening with the honeybees. A lot of them, we don't know what's happening to their populations. Just like anything, you know, some of them seem to be doing okay. So for example, if we just look at bumblebees, there's one bumblebee um, called Bombus impatiens, the common Eastern bumblebee, and that we can find all over the place. It seems to be thriving in urban environments um, and it's, it seems to be fine. And then there's another bumblebee called the rusty patched bumblebee that was native to Michigan that we haven't seen um, in decades. Um, so it's, it's on the endangered species list and is really suffering. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. You could be one of them, sitting in the dark and cold for hours, for days, maybe even weeks. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. Folks say this new solar generator from Four Patriots is, quote, worth its weight in gold. Why? Because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer or other devices like an electric blanket, microwave, RV air conditioner, or even an electric wheelchair. You also get 12 outlets, including four AC outlets, so you can power more devices at once, and two USB-C outlets, which can charge your phone 20 times faster than a regular plug. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4Patriots.com tutor to get your solar generator now. 
You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to fourpatriots.com slash tutor. What do we do about this? Because I think that it just doesn't get a whole lot of play. And I don't understand why it doesn't. I was telling you before we got on, I saw this night photographer. He's a National Geographic night photographer who, I mean, it's pretty fascinating just to look at his photography. But he said he follows the migration patterns of birds and bees because the light pollution has affected how the birds and the bees move across the country because they are confused by this. What what he said is the LED lights are this bright white LED light is confusing them because they think it's daytime all the time. And so what he's been trying to talk to people about is putting softer lights out there. Even the, the LEDs come in a, a softer yellow, which people don't really want because they think, oh, I want this bright light, but it's actually affecting our birds and our bees. And so I, I I thought that so when I saw your article, that's why I was like, ah, I have to talk to her because I think this is stuff that we just don't get a lot of play on. We don't have this community discussion about this, but we really could be doing things to help. When you talk about flowers, is it what is it helpful for us to research this and put these different flowers in our yards? I mean, what can we be doing to help? Yeah, absolutely. And your point about what the photographer said, I think, is is very similar in that you know you make little decisions that maybe don't seem that would be that big of a deal, but kind of all put together, they can really have a big effect. And the thing that's happening with the bees, especially the loss of food and habitat on the landscape, is really caused by you know lots of people making land use decisions without really considering the effect that it will have. Um, the big thing people can do is is plant um, and to look at things for flowers. And we maintain there's tons of resources and tons of groups that can help with planting lists and how to find plants for pollinators. But it can be just as simple as, you know, choosing what type of tree to put in. Um, so trees in Michigan are incredibly important food sources for bees. And if you can um, add in a pollinator supportive tree when you're making your choice, or if you're evaluating your lawn, the, if you look, you can overseed with white clover, or maybe there's parts that you, you know, you can take 10% and stop mowing that, or you can install a rain garden. What we try to do is to have, pe- to have people, we say, you know, just do what you can where you can. So even if you don't own property, Maybe you can talk to a church or a school and have them put in 10 basswood trees that you maintain and really try to look as you um, of where you can create habitat or at least create food resources that are that are good for bees. When you start seeing, you know, if you're a beekeeper and you're driving, all you see is just people mowing or land getting taken from something that's semi-wild and put into asphalt and sod and pine trees. And we are really quickly and dramatically taking a landscape that can support pollinators and putting it into things that can't. And the thing with bees is we can easily coexist. It's just a matter of, you know, putting in lavender plants across that border on the front just so that there's some food sources on the ground when we're taking them all. It's interesting because it's not something that you hear anywhere. I mean, even when years ago when we were putting our landscaping in, it wasn't something that even the landscapers were talking about. You would think that that would be kind of where that would come from of we need to do this. But how do we it seems like we've lost years of this. I mean, you're talking about World War Two having five million. Now we have two point six colonies. 
how do we make this conversation bigger? And obviously, that's why I wanted to have you on today to make this conversation bigger. But I'm pretty sure you said something about a rain garden. And I don't even know what that is. So I'm like, how do I explain this to people? So I think I mean, we definitely have a boatload of resources on our website, which I'll make sure you can I'm guessing you have show notes so that you can share, but we have a lot of resources on pollinators.msu.edu. And we also have the Extension Master Gardeners program, and there's um, groups called the Wild Ones and Xerxes Society. So there are a lot of people that have um, resources. We try to do a lot of training. We've gotten funding so that we can um, put education. We do a lot of education for landscapers. So when they do their pesticide recertification credits. Um, we do a lot of training with them. But yeah, it is it is very hard to get the information out, especially when you know it, it doesn't necessarily financially affect most people directly at the moment. But um, it will because we won't, I mean, I, that's what I want you to get into. So why is it important that we do this? Because what is at risk? So right now, a lot of the, the reason I think we don't see a lot of what's happening is because you know, most of our beekeepers are going out to California to support the almond industry and almond pollination prices are quite high. So the beekeepers have been able to maintain a lot of these threats because they're getting, they're able to make up their payments from California almonds. Um, And, you know, everybody watched the news and saw the weather out in California this year and over the last couple of years. And it's pretty scary that all of the bees that we require in Michigan to support our agriculture are dependent on California almonds. You know, it would be great if they had enough resources and didn't have to deal with all the deaths and um, didn't of the bees and didn't have to necessarily move around. But that is the way the current climate is. They are kind of supported by industry. And, you know, those are the bees that come back to Michigan and pollinate all of our fruits and vegetables. So that is really what is keeping those prices um, reasonable for our food systems. And that's just, you know, they're incredibly important in the agriculture system. But when we talk about our natural systems as well, you know, if you go back to like sixth grade and you learned about food webs, you know, at the bottom is plants. But really what's in there is most of the native plants require bees or other pollinators to reproduce as well. So they're incredibly important for us to get fruits and vegetables, but also just the maintenance of our woods and prairies and all of our other natural ecosystems as well. I think a lot of people hear this and they go, man, I would have to really understand it to do it. But it sounds like a lot of this is just adding a few different plants to your garden. And these are not, I mean, when you're talking about lavender, these are not plants that you have to be tending to. These are plants that you can put in and they're going to just grow and thrive and come back every year, correct? The perennials are actually ideal. And so it does take a lot of work to be a beekeeper. But one of the things that we um, educate on is that, you know, the honeybees are not native and having a honeybee hive is not helpful for the environment. Um, It's a lovely hobby. It can be a really excellent agricultural business, um, but it doesn't actually help the bees you know, the, at, even at the worst case scenario, it can actually be dangerous to have more or, or difficult because if you're a hobby beekeeper, 
you can actually spread disease to the native bees or you can help spread the disease by just wow because just by having so many more and a higher density of this you know non-native insect that does interact with the environment you know you're increasing competition or things like that so we really promote that you know and i'm saying this as a beekeeper whose whole life is bees and i love being a beekeeper but i do it as a agricultural endeavor you know if it's a hobby or a business but when i talk about my conservation work it is really focused on planting and you know you mentioned the perennials but honestly some of the best things are just trees um and so a lot of the trees and a lot of it are trees that you know a lot of times people think that they can't plant for pollinators because they don't want to turn their yard into a hippie wonderland and you can make choices where you can maintain your same aesthetic, especially if you look at the trees and shrubs. Um, you know, so things like basswoods, which I mentioned, um, black locust is excellent. A lot of the maples and elms provide early pollen, but a lot of the shrubs, and especially if they focus on Michigan natives, those are ones that are usually adapted to live in this climate. So you, they require even less input, usually. We have, um, I think it's a rhododendron that's blooming right now and even in this cold weather that we have we have bumblebees all around them this is the time of year when um what you're seeing is actually the bumblebee queens will be out so they will be the ones that are out looking for nests and for food sources um to get the season started and little did i know that i was surrounded by royalty every time i walked outside so that's exciting yeah. <laughs> I have really enjoyed talking about this. Like I said, as I've learned more about our food supply and the importance of bees, I just think that there's opportunity for us to talk to people about it. And so so what I'm taking from this, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, is you're not advocating for everybody to become hobby beekeeper. You're really saying, look at your own environment, what you can do to provide more food, and then also be careful about the chemicals you're using. No, that's exactly it. Is we, we don't necessarily, I mean, it's a lovely hobby and love want to be helpful. By far the best thing you can do is, you know, judiciously use pesticides. So make sure you're reading the label, make sure you're only using it when you have to use them um, and trying to minimize any, anything that would especially be sprayed on blooms. You know, so if you can mow or prune ahead of time or spray at night, you can really reduce exposures. And then just plant, 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 plant. <laughs> and as many, you know, just really evaluate any land that you have um, control over, any programs that you can work with and see how we can get more food and habitat back on land, on ground for both both the honeybees and the native bees in Michigan. Okay, so give us one more time that website so people know how they can look up what plants they should put in. The website is pollinators.msu.edu. There are a lot of resources on there. And so on pollinators.msu.edu, and there's a resources, and it'll say planting for pollinators tab. And that'll have planting lists and recommendations on there and more resources. Wonderful. I've loved this. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your willingness to come out and chat with us today and let everybody know how important honeybees are. I'm just so grateful to you. Thank you for the opportunity to share with more people. I love talking about bees, and it's great if we can have more people plant. Absolutely. Megan Milbreath, thank you so much. She is an assistant professor with Michigan State University. This is what she does. She studies it, and she was so 
wonderful to come on and share it with us today. Obviously, for me, I'm very interested in this. I want to make sure that everybody knows. And honestly, I think it will change how I garden this summer. So thank you so much for being here. And thank you all for joining me on the Tudor Dixon podcast for this episode and others. Go to TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there or go to Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you join us next time on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Have a great day. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4patriots.com tutor to get your solar generator generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to fourpatriots.com slash tutor. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.